Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me? I can, yes. Earlier this year, Enterprise reporter Todd Frankel connected with Kaylin Van Roy. Kaylin, uh, she's 30. Uh, she lives in Wisconsin now, but she was raised just outside Des Moines, Iowa. And she was the main caretaker for her grandmother, Lynn Stewart. Or as Kaylin called her, Grandma Lynn. Yeah, it wasn't grandmother or granny or nana. It was, it was grandma. Grandma Lynn. For a while, Grandma Lynn had been independent. Even after her husband died, she lived at home. She kept up with her gardening. But then... Things sort of changed as she got sick with Alzheimer's. In 2015, Kaylin moved back home after college. She spent a lot of time with her grandmother, and she started to notice some changes in Lynn's memory. She just noticed that her grandmother's struggling with her medications and her meals. Her pill packs would be disorganized or she's forgetting to eat. Hygiene was a big uh, concern, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it. So uh, if I wasn't there, she she wasn't going to be showering or taking a bath. Even Lynn herself started to notice these changes. Honestly, she would journal, too, and I would kind of see her processing these things of, like, she would notate that her memory is just not the same. And, you know, who who is she now? Like, who who is the new Lynn? Like, she was processing these hard things because when you're still aware that your memory isn't what it used to be, it's, a, it's really tough <laughs> um, living that reality. Kaylin was going over to Lynn's house multiple times a week, making her grandmother's meals, organizing her pills, helping her bathe. And she started to wonder if her grandmother needed more care. So that's kind of what led us to look for an assisted living care facility where she would have opportunities to um, have friendships, um, have different activities outside of just watching TV, but also have that extra support and just an extra set of eyes. Lynn Stewart ended up in what's known as a memory care unit, where Kaylin and her family were assured that she would be cared for and monitored 24-7. But then the unimaginable happened. Lynn wandered away in the middle of the night. No one found her for hours. That night, it reached negative 11 degrees outside. Lynn died from prolonged exposure. And a team of reporters at The Post found that this was not an isolated tragedy. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, December 21st. Today, we talked to Todd about his reporting on quote-unquote elopements, this fairly common phenomenon where people with Alzheimer's wander off. The Post's investigation found that in an industry that charges families thousands of dollars a month promising to keep their loved ones safe, elopements often go unnoticed until it's too late. So let's get back to Caitlin. She made this hard decision to put her grandma in an assisted living facility. What was that process like, and where did her grandma end up? Yeah, she 
you know, came to this sort of reluctantly, but she thought she was making the best decision for her, for her grandmother, right? She needed round-the-clock care. And she really didn't know how to go about this process, like most folks, right? And so she just started looking online to you type in, like, you know, assisted living or senior care. And, you know, a lot of it's marketing materials, you know, the putting on their best face and best foot forward. And it's really impossible for a loved one to know what they're doing um, or to make an informed decision. Uh, so there's very few resources out there in terms of like independent ratings or assessments of what is going to actually be like to live there. And so, you know, Kaylin made the best choice she thought she could. And and where did she decide on? So they looked at several places, right? So they, they realized they want to stay in the Des Moines area, close to home. And they settled on this place called Courtyard Estates, uh, which was in this town of Bondurant, which is a small town, a suburb basically of Des Moines. What did you like about Courtyard Estates? I liked that it was a homey atmosphere. It was not cookie cutter. It wasn't so modern where you in almost cold or hospital-like. You know, it wasn't revitalized, but it wasn't falling apart either. It was, they were actually larger rooms than you will see probably in any other facility. This was actually a whole living room, a bedroom, and your own bathroom. So <laughs> it was, yeah, it was hard to, hard to compete with that, in my opinion. So uh, you've seen these in many communities, right? It's like a one-story brick building, um, shaped like an H, right, with a main entrance, uh, dining room, activity rooms, um, with two wings on either end. You know, one wing being this sort of assisted living area where, where there's some care, and then the heavier, more intensive care is on the memory wing, right, where folks who have severe dementia live. And at first, Lynn started off in assisted living, and then as you know, her memory went downhill, she moved over across the hallway to the memory care side. So you said that this is an assisted living facility, right? How is that different from a nursing home? So nursing homes are federally regulated. They have pretty strict rules um, about you know, staffing and the care they provide and how they're set up and designed, whereas assisted living is a step down from that, and therefore... Feds don't regulate it. So it's done by the states. The states each have their own sort of set of regulations, some more strict than others. But it's it's a much less examined and scrutinized arena. So when it comes to an assisted living facility, what is the kind of care that someone would receive there? What are the safeguards that are in place? And, and why is some place like that theoretically good for people who are suffering from Alzheimer's? Yeah, so there's different levels within assisted living facilities, right? So the basic would be, you know, just help with meals and maybe doing chores and maybe transportation. Um, but then there's also memory care. And memory care is, you know, where they're really worried about you doing things day to day. And so, you know, you, you might have alarms on the door. You're going to have alarms on the exit doors so that if you do go outside, staff know that you're outside. They don't want to leave you unsupervised and on your own for any period of time because really anything could happen as you know, the dementia is getting worse and you're perhaps not making the best decisions for yourself. In certain places, you know, they'll require you, they'll require the staff to check on residents every hour or two hours just to know where they are, make sure they're safe. You know, and so when families are placing their loved ones in memory care, they're really understanding that or expecting that they're going to be watched over fairly closely, that they're not going to have moments of unsupervised time where they can, you know, hurt themselves. And so how was it for Lynn once she moved into this assisted living facility? So Kaylin was hoping that her grandmother would socialize more. You know, there's folks on the floor and she make friends. And her grandma, Grandma Lynn, as she called her, you know, was fairly picky about who she hung out with. I mean, it was still nice that, you know, at 
meal times and stuff, she would sit with a regular group of girls and, you know, they would hang out and, you know, there was some interaction there. But at the same time, her grandmother was all still going downhill cognitively. Yeah, I would say she was just struggling to cope a lot more. There was just a lot more emotional distress for her and even aggression, like not physical aggression, but just being upset and angry. For Kaylin, the changes with her grandmother really stood out to her um, one time when she took her to a doctor's appointment. Getting in the car that day, you know, I saw her kind of look a little vulnerable. And I said, you know, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And I said, do you want to know who I am? She said, yeah. And so I explained who I was and came to, you know. But like I said, I was noticing, like, she can't withstand long periods of time together. Or, like, change, really. And can you describe some of the other ways in which Lynn's behavior started to change or um, she was experiencing more problems? So Lynn, like you know, many dementia patients, has this sort of proclivity to wander off. Um, you know, they are packing up to go. They are wanting to always be on the move. Um, it, it's a fairly well-known feature in memory care that this is something a lot of dementia patients deal with. She is gathering her items, pushing them all to one side of the wall because she's, she is moving. And, the, but the, the idea that she would actually ever make it outside was probably never crossed your mind. Well, no, because that's why I facilitate the move to the memory care is because for that to not happen, that's exact, that's really the main reason why I moved her there. And so while there was a door to leave, it had a, a fencing around it. So you could still enjoy the outdoors, but there was a fence and and my understanding was that it was a secured unit. That was not possible. Um, so that was what I came into the situation thinking, um, but that was wrong. So it was not accurate. So in January of 2022... I, I heard my phone go off a couple of times. Early one morning, Kaylin actually, she had a phone call from the facility. I ran to go get it and... I just knew something was wrong because the facility called me and they never called me. And they said, um, you need to call a hospital. Her grandmother uh, gotten outside the facility and was found outside in the freezing Iowa winter. It was like a negative 11 degrees overnight. You know, she was cold to the touch when EMS workers got to her um, and had been taken to the hospital. They needed my permission to discontinue compressions. I mean, I did ask for an opinion, and she expressed how long that they had been going at that already. And I just just immediately was like, yeah, please stop. And a couple of hours later, her grandmother was dead. While we know she was declining, she was still supposed to live her life until she passed away naturally. That's what we were giving her. That's what we wanted for her. After the break, we'll talk about how this could have happened and what this incident can tell us about broader problems in the elder care industry. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, You'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, 
you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. So, Todd, before the break, we learned that Lynn passed away because she had wandered outside of her memory care unit. It is such a horrible incident to hear about, to imagine. Um, And I'm wondering how this could have happened and how did Lynn get out of the building and why wasn't she found sooner? So the state investigators um, as well as police looked into this to try to understand what had happened. And, you know, it's not exactly known how long her grandmother was outside, but, you know, her door to her room actually had an alarm, right? And that alarm had started going off at like 4.30 in the afternoon one day. Uh, And then about 9.30 that night, the door leading outside, the alarm had gone off. So she probably got outside around 9.30 at night, and then she wasn't found until 6 a.m. the next morning. So she was outside for eight, nine hours overnight. You know, and when they found her, you know, she was outside um, the exit door of of the facility, and, and it appeared to investigators that perhaps she had been trying to get back inside and just couldn't. You know, there were two caretakers who were on the overnight shift. When that first door alarm and then the second door alarm went off, they were receiving alerts on the iPads that they were supposed to be carrying around. That should have notified them. The administrator for the facility who was at home, her cell phone also would have been getting texts every few minutes alerting her to the problem and as well as the on-call nurse who was at home that night. Um, So there were, you know, at least four people who worked for this assisted living facility who were receiving alerts or should have been receiving alerts. Um, It's not exactly clear whether those alerts went through because of maybe some problems with the technology, but they were being told that there was something wrong and no one responded. And and what is the explanation of the facility for for why this happened? Why no one responded? Why they didn't receive or act on these alarms? There was a series of excuses and reasons given for why this happened. I mean, everyone agreed that it was a tragedy and should not have happened. But a series of things went wrong that allowed for, you know, a 77-year-old woman to slip outside into a freezing cold night and for no one to realize that this had happened. Todd, just hearing the details of this story is so horrible. And it's hard to imagine something like this happening to your loved one. But I know from your reporting that you found that this was not a one-off incident. How often is this kind of thing happening? Yeah, that's one thing I think that struck us when we were reporting this story is this the number of people that this happened and in, in, in so many similar circumstances. So nearly 100 deaths happened in sort of similar fashion nationwide since 2018 that we were, we were able to find by looking at public records and also media reports of these incidents. Some states don't make these reports public at all, so it's certainly an undercount. Mm-hmm. And then even beyond that, we found... That almost once a day, someone nationwide wanders away from one of these assisted living facilities. And the deaths are almost incidental to what is happening every day because a lot of these deaths were from exposure, right? So these are folks who are outside for hours upon hours. And every one of those cases that happens you know, once a day, any one of those could have ended a disaster. And it's, and it's just luck that you know folks were found more quickly and nothing happened to them. And that's the reason these facilities are supposed to be watching and making sure these folks don't go outside unattended or unsupervised because bad things do happen. 
What was your reaction when you got a better sense of how often this was happening? I think we were all surprised just how commonplace this was. Um, how this, you know, this is a has a term, right? It's called elopement. That's sort of the industry term for unsupervised wanderings away from a place. It has a, a name for it, right? And insurance companies know that this is a risk factor for assisted living facilities. This is a nationwide phenomenon. I mean, we found cases in Florida. There was one facility in Tallahassee that had five elopements in three years, um, including a 100-year-old woman who slipped outside, you know, was found the next morning uh, dead. You know, there was cases of folks who walked outside and walk into traffic, you know, folks who were left outside in the sun and died that way. I mean, it, it really was unbelievable how widespread this problem is. Every assisted living facility knows that this is a risk, but I don't think most loved ones who are putting their elderly parents or grandparents into one of these places realizes that this is a really real problem. Yeah, like how, I guess the the simple question is like, how could this happen so frequently if, as you say, people are aware that this is a risk, that this is the reason why people are putting families, family members into facilities like this, that the facilities themselves are aware that like this is something that people who are living there are likely to at least attempt to wander outside and that this is something that they should be prepared for. So then why is it happening with some level of frequency? You know, the post reportings show that a lot of this was staffing issues, right? So, you know, when Lynn Stewart wanders outside, there's two caretakers on the overnight shift who are responsible. You know, one actually worker on her wing were 11 memory care residents, right? And so, you know, it should be a fairly simple thing, but, it, you know, in fact, it's not. These folks are perhaps overworked, underpaid. You know, we found cases of alarms that didn't work. And also that, you know, not just staffing numbers, but also staffing turnover, the churn of new faces. You know, um, Kaylin, you know, told me that she felt like she had to keep on reintroducing and explaining who her grandmother was to each new worker who, you know, came on the job and then would leave six months later, right? So it's a problem that the industry even admits is a problem. It's just retaining workers. You know, the, the, all these different little problems that sort of add up to tragedies that happen again and again. So if this is a problem that is so widespread, why haven't I heard about this before? So assisted living facilities are not regulated like nursing homes by, you know, on the federal level, right? So the feds maintain a database of rating systems basically for nursing homes. That information is not available for these cases as we found and we struggled to find out even baseline information about how these assisted living facilities are being operated. States are handling the regulation. You know, each state has its own rules and regulations. And so for the most part, it's hard to stitch together a national picture of what's happening. And what happens when these incidents are in fact fatal, like in Lynn's case, and are there consequences for these facilities? Sometimes there's consequences, right? Um, you know, there's they'll find them for how they were operated, or if they found some, you know, problem with staffing levels, or if they violated some rule. But in a few cases, there were actually criminal charges uh, filed. So when Lynn uh, walked out that night, um, you know, a staff member was supposed to check on her every hour and would have realized, you know, that she was outside, but she didn't. A caretaker by the name of Catherine Forkpa would end up being charged with second-degree murder. You know, that was pled down and eventually um, pleaded to and sentenced for a misdemeanor. She pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor count of dependent adult abuse resulting in injury and was sentenced to two years probation. But it, in most cases, you know, that's where it ends. Um, even though the prosecutor in this case did say she wanted to pursue charges against others at the facility at Courtyard Estates, but the state law made it difficult. 
this woman, Catherine Forkbud, did she give any better sense of, like, why she failed to do this? Like, what her, what happened that, that ended up with this tragic result? She told investigators that that night she never went down and checked on Lynn every hour as she was supposed to. Um, she said she was busy dealing with another resident who was being a bit unruly in, in the hallway and she had other responsibilities and, you know, that the alarms, the door alarms that should have alerted her to what was happening, she never saw them on her iPad. So there's a series of missteps that we were to blame for what happened. You know, and if they were isolated incidents, you might that might make sense. But you know, what we found was sort of a pattern of problems at not just this facility, but facilities nationwide. Yeah, tell me more about um, problems at other facilities that this company owned. Yeah, and these are things that you know most people who are trying to place their elderly parents or grandparents are not going to know about. I and mean, it took a fair bit of work on our part to sort of track these down. But at Courtyard Estates, the same place where Lynn Stewart died, you know, in 2016, a 92-year-old man was found lying outside in the grass several hours after he'd escaped and walked out of the place. Um, he survived, but the state fined the facility of $3,250. And six weeks before Lynn died, at another facility owned by the same company, also in Iowa, another memory care patient slipped outside and died in the freezing cold. Oh, my gosh. And what were the consequences of, of these deaths? So in the death that preceded Lynn's, you know, the company was fined $6,500, um, mm. reduced from $10,000 by the state, which was the same fine that they faced in Lynn Stewart's case as well. And can you tell me more about what the facility said about its responsibility or culpability here? Yeah, so I spoke with an executive at uh, Jaybird's Senior Living, which... Uh, runs courtyard estates. You know, you said the company has a lot of sympathy for the families you know, who face these terrible outcomes. Um, and they said they, they take elopement very seriously and that they follow procedures and policies, but that they struggle with staffing challenges. Um, he said specifically in Lynn's case, the facts kind of speak for themselves and that, you know, there was someone who was charged and they didn't follow the training that was provided to them by the company. And he said as a quote, you know, the, the challenge is that you have people taking care of people and at times individuals don't follow the policies or the procedures set forth. And then what about the part where the federal government isn't actually responsible for regulating these assisted living facilities? Are there pushes to change that? There are not pushes to really change that. You know, the elder care industry has spent at least $51 million in lobbying state officials since 2017. Um, but even then, you know, most people don't realize this is a big problem. They don't see the scale of the problem. So it doesn't get much attention. And so there's not much effort made in attacking it directly. And for Kaylin, what does she think about everything that happened? And um, how does she make sense of this? She struggled with that, right? For her, it never made sense for the blame to be put on just one caretaker, one person. You know, she, to her, she feels like a whole system failed. It's completely preventable. It's completely preventable. So it, it should never be anyone's fear of something like that happening. That's the exact reason, one of the main reasons someone is, is you know, will go into um, assisted living for memory care is to be safe, to be able to age in place safely. So she wasn't, she wasn't gifted that. We spoke to lots of these families. They had a similar sentiment of, they helped make this, this decision for someone, you know, who has dementia or, you know, isn't able to make this decision for themselves. And so they live with this tremendous guilt about the decision they made, even though 
it was almost impossible to tell that anything like this was even a possibility. And I think that's the problem is that it's a hidden danger that you don't really consider, that doesn't get attention, that is really difficult to sort of suss out and figure out what's going on. And so not only do these families you know, contend with the loss of a loved one, they also deal with the guilt that they feel for having maybe played some role in that. Todd, thank you so much for sharing this story. Thank you. Todd Frankel is an investigative reporter for the Business Desk at The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Eliza Dennis. It was edited by Robin Amer and Maggie Penman and mixed by Sean Carter. Thank you to Evelyn LaRubia and Courtney Kahn. The story is part of a series about the assisted living industry in America. Our colleagues have done a ton of fascinating and insightful reporting about how these facilities are regulated and the problematic business model behind them. I highly recommend that you read more. We'll put a link to the rest of the investigation in our show notes and at postreports.com. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.